Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. Right now, you'll receive 10% off your next order when you purchase either the Deviate Hellraiser Revenge, Brunswick Nexus, Storm Vivid, or Roto Grip Defiant Edge. Also, check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and a proud sponsor of Above180.com. Attention bowlers, would you like to help your stability in your approach and at the foul line? With Stability Strikes Bowling Performance Sock, you can enhance your stability and take the edge off any foot, knee, or back pain you may have while bowling. The extra mohair cushioning in the heel and toe gives you the comfort and support to compete at your maximum potential. So go to StabilityStrikes.com today. Stability in your game is just a pair away. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg and Joey Serrar are ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts and the stars of the PBA. Now, from Washington, D.C. and the Bowler's Pro Shop in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, here are your hosts, Tim Berg and Joey Serrar. We are back for our fourth podcast on Ball Drilling for Dummies series. Quickly, a recap. Tim Berg here. Uh, in, in, in number one, we basically talked about the beginning. We talked about uh, some of the inceptions with the uh, dual-angle drilling. Uh, podcast number two was more about how to get the most out of your equipment. Talked about uh, rev rates to, uh, to ball drilling and such. And in our, our last episode, we talked about weight holes, uh, VAL angles, PAP distance, and that sort of thing. Uh, again, all those are on Above180.com. We've got a special tab at the top, so we're going to be able to find those very quick on the website. But let's begin segment uh, series four here, Joe. Tim Berg, uh, thanks for joining me today. And Mo Pinnell as, as well. Great to have Mo with us. Good to be here, guys. It's uh, getting to be a regular thing. So I'm okay with it if it helps people and it helps promote effective use of bowling balls and increases the bowler's enjoyment and uh, success at the sport, let's just keep doing them. Well, that, that's the whole object here, Mo, is we want to get bowlers thinking about what they have and what they could have when it comes in regards to layouts, uh, communicate more with their individual ball drillers, and hopefully educate both parties along the way. And, and I think we're doing that in, in these first three segments, uh, beginning our fourth segment mode, do you think you could give a brief recap of the three components that go into dual angle layout techniques? Okay, let's talk about the three components. Let's talk about their effect. The three components, just to review, the three components of dual angle layouts are the drilling angle, the pin to PAT distance, and the VAL angle. The three separate components that contribute to the shape of the ball motion once you have the motion potential of the drill of the ball you're drilling. The drilling angle controls the skid phase and is used along with surface to create the distance to the first transition. How long the ball will skid before it reaches the pattern. So the drilling angle creates the skid phase. And once we enter the roll and hook phase, then we deal with pin the PAP distance and then we deal with the VAL angle. The pin to PAP distance controls track flare. And if you want to understand track flare, you go to the uh, thread 
on Mo and Friends that uh, Blueprint did, and he did probably the most detailed study on study of ball track flair I've ever seen. Better than anything I've ever seen before. Looking at that, we'll talk about flair. But basically, track flair, which increases as the ball, as the axis migrates faster, track flair controls friction between the ball and the lane. So, skid out of the drilling angle, total amount of hook, pretty much, out of the flare distance, which is the pin to PAP distance, and then the shape of the brake point is most determined by the VAL angle. Using small VAL angles will give you a short transition. The ball will read the friction hard and make a quick change of direction so you can alter the path. If you use a larger VAL angle, such as pin under the fingers, which I hear about all the time, all it creates is a smooth, long hook zone and a slow response to the friction on the back part of the lane. So the VAL angle, you go with a small one, you'll get a hard reaction off the friction. You go with a larger VAL angle, you'll get the smooth, lengthy transition. So that's what happens there. Now, for years, everybody said pin under the fingers makes the ball roll early. That just happens not to be true because we now have technology, and technology is wonderful because technology allows us to measure things. It allows us to use CAT system. It allows us to use graphical analysis, and we can dispel some of the myths of the path. So the right. one oh, in, in other words, Mo, we're eliminating a lot of the guesswork when it comes to layout motion with science proving our, our facts here that lower pins do not always roll earlier. They, they can roll earlier with a low val, a drill, drill angle, as you know, compared to a pin above, but typically when the other two variables are the same, they do not roll earlier. Yeah, Joey, you got that right. So we reviewed that. So where do you want to go from here, guys? Well, you know, I've got a lot of questions uh, written down here, and Tim, I think you do as well. I think we could open this up to some questions that some of our, our friends from Bowling Chat and just around the world have sent Tim and I and just have you, you know, take a stab at each one of them. How does that sound, Tim? Sounds good to me. Joe, why don't you begin with the question you have? Okay. I thought you were going to begin, but I will begin. Okay. How much more does core shape play in overall motion reaction of a ball? In other words... Say we have two balls with the same RG and the same differential numbers, very similar to one another, but the core shape is dramatically different. How much, and, and the cover stocks, let's say, cover strength is similar. So it's all about core shape. How much difference can bowlers expect to see? Well, that's a very interesting area that I've studied length at length, and there'll be some difference of opinions, but I got enough evidence to prove that core shape is very, very significant in the motion of the drilled bowling ball. In the undrilled ball, it's, it's, it's there, but it really shows up when you drill it. And, and the first thing I'll tell you about core shape, and I'm not going to divulge all my secrets, is that larger volume cores, bigger cores, allow drilling techniques to vary the motion significantly because... The drilling holes will then intersect the core sooner as you drill them, and as the holes intersect the core, they change the shape of the core, which alters the ball motion. And I know that Storm, a while ago, when they did the cell, which was good, said that uh, smaller cores are driller-friendly. 
Now, the other word for drill is idiot-proof. Smaller cores, when you drill the ball with different drilling, different drilling techniques, make smaller differences in the resulting ball motion. But if you take a larger volume core and you change your drilling technique, you can change the ball motion more significantly. So, larger volume cores result in more drillable bowling balls or more balls that are versatile. But along with that goes the idea, if they're more versatile when you drill them with large volume cores, you better know what you're doing because you're going to create a different motion based on where the holes intersect. That's the way I look at it, Joey. All right, okay, Mo. Tim, Tim, you want to throw another question at Mo? I, I think that answers it very well, Mo. Certainly, Mo. This next question comes to us via Facebook. Again, on Facebook, we're at taking your bowling game to that next level. And the question is, is this. Uh, what is the best layout when playing that deep inside line? He's thinking third, fourth arrow. If you're trying to get away from people playing that normal second arrow, typical house shot sort of thing, um, he understands that it may be too open-ended, but he's just looking for suggestions in terms of pin placement, type of weight block, symmetrical versus asymmetrical, and even cover stock. Well, let's start by saying that if, you, if you're playing inside and you need the ball to read the friction later and harder, because usually when you move in, it's because there's too much friction in the track in the front part of the lane. You better use a very small VAL angle, and if you're covering boards from inside, you better use a fairly large amount of flare. So you, use, you go to the flare charts in the wiki, and they'll show you what symmetricals and asymmetricals, which are totally different. Okay? Where do you want to do it? Basically, it's going to come out at three to four inch pin to PAP distance and a small VAL angle. Now, you vary the drilling angle based on whether you're rev dominant or whether you're speed dominant. If you're speed dominant, you're going to combine that with a smaller drilling angle. If you're rev dominant, you're going to combine it with a larger drilling angle. And what is very, very obvious is you can make asymmetrical balls transition faster on the back end so you're going to use more asymmetricals than you do symmetricals. You can use a little bit of both, depending on who you are, but you're going to use more asymmetricals to get that hard change of direction late because, Joey, you know as well as I do, if you miss it at the bottom and it doesn't read the friction late, it hits the mechanic right in the forehead. Yeah, There, there, there is no magic layout for that. No, there now, isn't. Tim, I think you have a follow-up yeah. for that question, do you not? Yeah, how does uh, the pattern length affect the uh, how you're going to drill it and, and kind of the question in general as well? Oh, that's easy. Longer patterns require smaller sums of the angles because you need to help ball transition from skid to hook to roll on the longer patterns. On the shorter patterns, you're going to use a larger sum of the angles. When I mean sum of the angles... That means adding the drilling angle and the VAL angle together. So on shorter patterns, you're going to use larger sums of the two angles because the ball doesn't need to transition as fast because you've got so much more dry back end. Let me give you a quick example. If you've got a 47-foot pattern, which is Paris, and they use that in the junior gold, you've only got 13 feet for the ball to read the friction on the back end. But if you go to Los Angeles, which was their shorter pattern, which everybody had a real trouble on, which is 33 feet, you can seven feet of back end for the ball to read the pattern. So if you got 27 feet 
of back end, you don't need to call the transition fast. So use a large sum of the number to control the motion. If you've got 13 feet of back end, you better use a ball that's going to change straight. As soon as it hits the friction and comes off the pattern, you want it to get through the hook phase and into the roll phase as soon as possible. So the answer to that is on longer patterns, use smaller sums of the angles, and on shorter patterns, you use larger sums. And for every bowler, it's a different, it's a different amount there. Does that cover it, Joey? Well, I think it covers it very well, and that's where communication with your hopefully certified ball driller comes into play so he can help coordinate those numbers for you as opposed to you attempting to guess at what you should have, say, based on an old ball that you've liked because new balls can be so different in cover formula and, and core numbers compared to what your old piece is. You can't just rely on basing it off of a, a 10-year-old product. In, a, in other words, uh, you agree with that, Mo? I agree with it totally because it's just like computers. You've got different programs today that you use. You can't use techniques you used 10 years ago on older programs. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. And ball, ball dynamics have significantly increased just like computers have. You and I both know it, Joey. Okay, Mo, i got a question for you in regards to axis migration. There's been a lot of talk of this new terminology the last couple of years and how I, I, core... terminology I started using in 1980. Well, other people haven't used it or other it hasn't come to light, let's say, to a lot of other people and, or, or even ball manufacturers are now using it when they talk about the contours of their core and how it affects the axis migration. Can you kind of briefly summarize that? Once, well, there's two components to this. First is the bowler. The bowler, when the ball comes off his hand, the bowler establishes the initial PAP, correct, Joey? Yes. The RG of that initial PAP, not the RG that's on the slicks and on the sheets and not the high or the low or the intermediate, but the RG of the PAP is important to the ball motion. And what we have discovered through computer technology and everything we have been able to measure, USBC being the leader in this one, equipment and specs department when Neil Stremel was there. Now he's chief honcho at the USBC, right under uh, the CEO. But what they found out was, is once the bowler establishes the initial PAP, as the ball flares, the positive axis point will migrate. That's what we call axis migration. As the positive axis point migrates across the face of the ball, the RG of the PAP will remain the same throughout the entire axis migration. So if the RG of the PAP is a certain number when it's released, it'll be the same number when it hits the pins. So that's how that works. And the RG contour, which is the scientific term for all the points on the surface of the ball that have the same RG value, the ball, it will it'll migrate across that. And what really matters is... And it never comes out much until you get into a long, detailed discussion. Is when the migrating axis crosses the pin to PSA line, the revs of the ball will pick up. The ball will will rev up faster once the migrating axis crosses the pin to PSA line. 
Now, this so does it does it decrease after it picks up the revs, or does it is it a steady increase, Maul? It's a it's a gradual increase in the ease at which the ball will rev up. So the ball's trying to rev up, but as soon as it crosses the pin, the PSA line, it'll it'll be easier for it, so it'll rev up faster and faster and faster. Now, if you take a bowling ball that has a marked PSA, an asymmetrical ball. Problem with a symmetrical ball is you can spin on Terminator to find out where the PSA of the drilled ball really is. But once you draw that line, if that line you draw is closer to the initial PA, PAP, that ball will rev up sooner. If that is further away from the initial PAP, that ball will rev up later. And that line in the PSA line gets further away from the PAP when you increase the drilling angle. So now you're seeing the relationship, true scientific relationship between the drilling angle and when the ball starts to pick up. You use a small drilling angle, the ball will, the, the migrating axis will cross the pin to PSA line early in the ball's motion. If you use a larger drilling angle, the migrating axis will cross the pin to PSA line later in its motion, therefore it'll have a later breakpoint. We just unlocked the secrets of the universe, man. <laughs> and this all affects, ultimately, what we need to see a ball do, and that's enter that last transition phase soon enough to maximize pin carry. That's correct. See, all the things we're doing with drilling angles and with the dual angles is to create the motion. But we have to watch the way the ball goes through the pins to determine if our decisions were correct. If the ball goes through the pins weekly, meaning it's going to leave for right-handers, sevens and eights and tens, then we got to make the, some of the angles smaller. If it's going through hard, leaving four nines, four pins, then we got to make them larger. So we have to start somewhere, look at the motion, and then alter our plan in order to create an additional ball to uh, accompany the original ball. So now we have two different motions. Okay, Mo. Next question I have. It says, "Could uh, Mo and Joey talk about the determinator and its importance in measuring ball motion?" Well, the determinator is interesting because when you turn the motor on, you're adding energy to the ball. But the ball, so the ball will seek its PSA, which it doesn't, going down the lane. But what the determinator does is measure the strength of the ball's preferred spin axis. You drill a ball. How strong is the preferred spin axis. And that strength of the PSA will determine how fast the ball, the axis will migrate across the face of the ball. Stronger PSAs will give you lower spin times on the determinator. It'll allow, it'll allow you to tell you that ball's going to transition fast when it's friction. Larger spin times will mean the ball will transition slow. The other thing that the determinator does, and it's very significant that it does, is once you drill a symmetrical ball, there is no other way to find the high RG axis, which is the PSA, which was called the mass bias when I did that in two decades ago. But there's no other way to accurately locate the PSA of the drilled symmetrical ball in the field other than the determinator. Is that correct, Joey? Well, without a doubt, Mo, we've had one now for two years now. You know, Even though you suggested it to me years ago, I was too... 
either stubborn or dumb or both to, to, to pick one up then. But but I did relent and, and pick one up, and, and I absolutely love it. Uh, Dennis and myself and my co-worker at the shop use it daily, and I mean every day, and it, it's vital to our, our pro shop success. Uh, so those of you who do not own a determinator, uh, you do want to pick one up. And I don't know if, Mo, you want to divulge where bowlers can pick them up, either through you or through one of the distributors. But, but I think, again, it's a valuable piece of pro shop equipment that you, you really need to be able to fine-tune ball motion more accurately. Sure, because, and, and when it really shows up, Joe, you know it is, you throw a symmetrical ball, and you find the PSA of the ball without a balance hole in it. Then you put the balance hole in it. And you know, because you've been through this, as you put the balance hole in and you make it bigger, that PSA will move towards the VAL quite a big distance, as much as 50 degrees sometimes, correct? Well, yeah, it, it's amazing how some balls move quite a bit easier than others, and, and, and some, you know... You, you can take a PSA from left of the thumb and move it a good two inches right of the thumb, and that ball motion changes 180 degrees. Yeah, because you're changing the drilling angle. Yeah, but if you want to get a determinator, you can call Mo Rich, because we have them, or you can email uh, Monica, who does still does some customer service for us, even though on the summer she's not officially doing it, and you can... Email Monica at moridgegirl at gmail.com. That's moridgegirl at gmail.com. Or you can call the office, 877-530-0324, and we will get in touch with you. If you want to talk about it, either of those two people will get, will get in touch with me, and then I'll call you back about the determinator. It's interesting because people say, did it going to increase my sales? And directly, no, but indirectly, yes, because <clears throat> the educated bowlers are going to start coming to you because you can do more for them than another shop. So that's why, you know, initially it's like, well, are you going to increase my sales this year? No, but over the next four or five years, the answer is yes, because you're going to be able to do more things for the bowler. But everybody like Joey who gets a determinator and learns how to use it wouldn't part with it, would you, Joe? Oh, no, and, and we didn't buy it to increase sales. I, I basically bought it basically because we wanted to do a better job for our customer base, and no other device on the market allows us to do what that device does. Now, as a follow-up, Mo... You're giving a better service to your bowler, but a lot of people are reluctant to uh, part with over a 1000 bucks, and it is, over a 1000 bucks to increase their service without them being able to get an immediate return on their investment. And, right, yeah, and it's I not a direct thinking. result. Excuse me? It's not a direct result. In other words, when I de determine a ball for a customer that, that they bring in, we don't charge for that service, but the fact we can do that service and ProShop B or C down the road cannot, you know, that kind of forces that bowler to want to come to us because he knows we know what we're doing, and we can make changes accurately rather than just guessing on, on where PSAs might be located. Yes, that's that's very, very true. That's exactly what it does, and it's an indirect benefit, like you said, not a direct. So, you know, guys are a little more reluctant to go for it, but once they do, every one of the guys that I know that's got one wouldn't part with it because he couldn't do his job as well without it. 
Right, and as a follow-up mode of this, can you briefly touch base on how a Z-axis spinning ball and a Y or an X-axis spinning ball differ from one another, or what relationship they play? Well, Z-spinners uh, is a term, and term, again, I was involved in. And what it means is there are certain balls on the market where they mark the mass bias on the intermediate RG axis rather than high RG axis. And what you do with a determinator on a Z spinner is you spin the ball and you find the true high RG axis because that's what the determinator really does. And you mark the true high RG axis and do your layout based on that. Z spinners are balls that they have marked the intermediate RG axis. Why? I haven't figured that out yet. But some manufacturers did for a while. They marked the intermediate RG axis. So you do a layout off of what you think is, quote, unquote, the mass bias, and it's actually 90 degrees to it, and it rolls totally different than you expect it to. So Z-spinners are balls where the intermediate RG axis is marked with a mark, and uh, traditional balls, Y-spinners, are when the mark is on the true PSA. Now, the USB-C passed a rule as of January 30th of this year that said all balls with an intermediate disc of 010 or higher have to mark the true PSA. And that mark has to be within an inch and a half of the PSA if they spin it on a determinator. So they use a determinator to check balls at the USB-C, and now I believe every manufacturer, <coughs> excuse me, now uses a determinator to locate accurately the mass bias or the PSA of the ball because we've sold determinators to every manufacturer. All right, Mo. Well, that's very informative stuff here in our segment four, our series four. Let, let's wrap things up right there because you know what? We got to save some stuff to top four in our final segment. Like like you were saying, Mo, we could go on forever and continue this for years, I think, and we probably won't hit all the stuff we need, but very informative information nonetheless. We, uh, we got plenty to talk about in uh, the fifth segment. I'm beginning to feel like the show answer, man, so I'm going to try and give you guys the clearest answer to all the questions I guess I just got years of hacking around in the ball industry and doing a lot of empirical research on my own, and that led me to work with the equipment and specs department when they did the ball motion study. I was their I was their technical advisor on that. So yeah, I appreciate it, and I'm going to try and give everybody as concise an answer as I can, and every answer I give will be as accurate as I know it can be. Again, for Tim Berg, Joe Serrar, Mo Pinnell, good luck and good bowling.